Hello, everyone. My name is Nathan. I'm Catherine. And I'm Zoe. And you're listening to CSA Talks. That is right, everyone. You are listening to CSA Talks, and we have a very special episode for you today about Asian Heritage Month. Uh, And since it's Asian Heritage Month, we want to talk about a topic around growing up Asian. And today we have two very special guests. And, you know, if I introduce them, that would not give them the clout that they deserve. So I will let them introduce themselves. Uh, Today we have Jessica and Estelle. Go ahead. Hi, everyone. My name is Jessica. I'm the incoming co-president alongside Nathan. I'm going into fourth year and I study poli-sci and French. Hi, everyone. My name is Estelle. I just finished my fourth year in medical science this year, and I was the president for the 2020 and 2021 school year. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Yeah, today we're really excited to be talking about this topic a bit more, um, seeing as we're Western's largest Asian student association. I think it's really good that we can speak to this topic um, on both the lighthearted notes and the more difficult topics. But I guess even within the five, even between the five of us, there is a variety of experiences growing up, I think. Yeah. So as Kathy mentioned, there's like really a variety of different experiences, even within the small group. So if we want to like kind of go around and we can like each share some like stories or like standout experiences from like what it was like growing up Asian in Canada, I think that would be a great way to start off. Um, So I grew up in Markham and that's a relatively Asian dominated community. So growing up, I think I was used to seeing people like me and you know what? I have no idea where I'm going with this actually. So So just like Jess, I also grew up in a predominantly Asian community, actually communities. (laughs) And then so for myself, I feel like I've always been very protected. And then upon like incidences of, um, I guess, like discrimination, I've also been very protected by my parents. And I think like examples would include whenever we go on family trips, uh, sometimes there'd be incidences where we catch ourselves under fire of like people cursing, making remarks, such as go back to your country. And each time it would be like, because I was like younger and stuff, it would be my parents um, speaking up, calling, calling people out and really doing a lot of like the mediating. And yeah, so I think in some form, like growing up, my parents have always like been this shield yeah, I guess on Estelle's point, that's a pretty common theme, but it's almost, I was actually going to bring the point how we were raised to be more averse to starting any drama or any trouble. Um, like parents are always telling us not to act up in public, not to make a scene, just like w- wipe it under the, the rug, basically, which is something that I've like after talking to more people about it, I noticed it's a pretty common theme amongst all Asian families, unless mm-hmm. they have like second generation, third generation parents, it's a different experience. But I guess just like for me personally as well, I kind of grew up not to make a scene, not to cause a fuss. So I think now is a really good time, especially in university, it's a good time for me to almost exercise my right to to feel how I feel and to react how I want to react, which is so silly when you say it, but it's, it's, it's really genuinely how I feel about like you know how you're like oh it's a pretty common theme I guess like maybe amongst like you and your peers so I had like my 
my mom is kind of like on that sense where she's like, you know, don't make a scene if you don't need to. But then my dad is very like, you need to stand up for yourself when you need to. Like he's, he's very like, because you know how like you're not actually supposed to like, you know, fighting and like actually throwing hands isn't like what you're supposed to be doing. It's like you should use your words and stuff like that. But he was just saying he, like growing up, he's always like told me that like when you need to like you should like it's like kind of like pick your fights and like defend yourself. And then he was like, yeah, if needed, just pick up a rock and chuck it. <laughs> it was very violent, his description, but it's definitely, I think, put this really like strong sense into me where I'm like very like blunt straightforward when I want to be and I'm I'm not afraid to speak up and then but then I think at the same time it's like with my mom like on the other hand it's like I think I'm always in this middle where I'm like do I pick this fight do I not pick this fight mm-hmm. yeah. I find it really interesting how you guys were both talking about how you were taught like not to lash back or like to only lash back in certain scenarios or Estelle about how like your mom and dad had like contrasting opinions on that. Um, because for me, I obviously personally, thankfully, haven't experienced any inherent racism, partially because I am a mixed kid. I'm half white, half Chinese. Um, but I do remember really vividly an experience with my mom, who is like the Chinese one. Um, and it was near this time last year, or maybe like during the summer last year. Um, after COVID became a thing. And I think we all know that after COVID erupted, like anti-Asian racism crimes just like skyrocketed completely. And I was walking down a busy street in Vancouver with my mom. And keep in mind for those that don't know, Vancouver is a place with like a pretty high Asian population, maybe not as high as Markham or Richmond Hill, but like our Chinese population is definitely up there. Um, and then both of us were wearing masks and this Caucasian man who was not wearing a mask, by the way, just screamed after my mom to go back where you came from. Um, and at first I was more shocked than angry because I couldn't believe that this was happening like on a busy street in a city like this. But then that anger did kick in and I like screamed something after him. I think I was like, how could you say that? Or something like along those lines. Um, And instead of thanking me for like standing up for her, my mom was like, hey, if this happens to you in the future, don't say anything because you never know if the person could be dangerous and if you're putting yourself in a place of danger. So I think the fact that A, this happened at all, and B, people's first reaction is not to like stand up for yourself, but instead to like, almost not say anything in fear of like you know violent acts or anything like that really says a lot about the society we're now living in for sure I think that's a common theme and a common mentality with a lot of um, Asian families as Kathy mentioned before it's very much mentality of keep your head down keep silent don't make a fuss and I think it really comes from I'm not sure if your mom's um, an immigrant, but it definitely reflects in my grandparents who are immigrants. And I think they just want to get by without, you know, without making any noise, without doing anything. And I think to an extent, it comes from the fact that they feel grateful for the opportunity to be in Canada in the first place. And I'm not sure, you know, that of course that gratitude is so, so valid, but that shouldn't come at the price of being mistreated by other people it shouldn't come at the price of being yelled at by people on the street or even having to you know carry this 
mentality and this burden around in the first place. So like, it's an unfortunate reality. And I think it's super common with a lot of our, um, with our families and even with ourselves most of the time. You know, actually on Jess's point, when I was growing up, I would hear, I mean, maybe not when I was not that young, but a few years ago, I was thinking like, where did the expression or what prompted the expression of go back to your country? Right. And I was trying to, and at, and at first I, I almost, I hated myself for doing this, but I almost understood where they were coming from. Like we, as I guess, Asian people, we have Asia, we have a country or continent that we are majority in. Um, and our, like the racism that we experience can be different from the racism that other ethnicity groups experience. Yeah. So we do have a, uh, we're majority, majority in, in place, but I later caught myself thinking like this mentality, just looking back, it's completely wrong. It's because all of us have the very right to be here. I was born in Canada. I grew up here. I have no cultural connection tied to China. I didn't go through like schooling there. I have no idea what the, the norms are like. Right. So I have, I'm basically as Canadian as you can get. Um, and it's, it's definitely, I'm not sure if other people have thought about this, this the same way, but just sort of this, this, this topic that I wanted to reiterate, which like that comment is just completely unprompt. It's like, it's not valid at all. Um, so if anyone, I mean, if anyone does ever get told that that's a response that you could totally use. Like I'm as much Canadian as you are. I grew up here. I was born here. Uh, that's a good response basically. It's also really funny because we live in North America um, and obviously like both America and Canada were like built on colonialism. And for me, I'm the child of two immigrants. My dad is from Ireland. So why is he not being told to go back to where he came from while my mom is? Sometimes I was like, I really wanted, I, I think I saw this on um, TikTok. Facebook, somewhere, social media. So I'm sounding super boomer right now. Anyways, this is like a more lighthearted response. Definitely like I think Kathy and Zoe both bring up really good points. Um, You know, I've grown to appreciate Asian culture a lot over the past two years. And, you know, with like K-pop, with Mandopop, with like um, movies, films and stuff like that. Those are things I really appreciate. So sometimes I was like, mm, I really want one of, someone to make that remark to me so I could be like, you pay for my plane ticket. You pay for, pay for my trip. I will happily go back to Asia and explore, bro. You pay for my vacation. Because it's so frustrating because I'm like, I just want to go back to Asia and explore. But you know what? I have no, no money, no income. <laughs> if someone wants to tell me to go back to my country, you know what? I'll happily go back and explore if you pay for it, fund it, you know, sponsor me. That's true. <laughs> That's very true. They're two very different responses to that. <laughs> go back to your country, you know, pay for my ticket. Both are equally valid. <laughs> yes, equally valid though. Equally valid though, for sure. I think a lot of like Canada... I think we're thankful that we live in such a diverse uh, and mosaic of different cultures. Um, But I think a lot of what this anger stems from is, you know, there's a lot of ignorance versus intent, right? Are these people actually hateful towards us? Or, you know, maybe is it just misplaced anger from something else? Either way, these, like Zoe said earlier, these accounts of anti-Asian racism, they've been skyrocketing. And, you know, we talked about how our parents were the shield from us. And then now, if you look at the United States, even in Canada, you know, our elders are being attacked now. And, you know, we have to step in 
to kind of be that shield for them. It's not really paying it forward most. So I think we have an obligation and a right to protect our elders, especially now. Yeah. And honestly, I think it starts with, it's so oversight. I think it starts with education. Um, I went to an elementary school that was predominantly white. And I remember like just comments here and there made about, I know it's like stereotypical, but like the food that we would eat, the way that uh, my parents didn't really, like, couldn't really communicate with other parents. It was just like comments made by like 10 year old kids. And yeah. it bothered me because I didn't know why they were making it. I thought I was being bullied, but looking back, I don't think it was, I don't, I don't think they were trying to hurt me. I think they were genuinely just didn't realize that different cultures have different practices of different traditions. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like my, my traditions are just as valuable as yours. And I, it's it's such a such a difficult topic to solve though because mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a believer in the fact that we're not born with like preconceived notions or like these racist thoughts. It's definitely developed along the way. It could be from your parents or from this, like the educational system, but it's definitely a topic that a lot of people are also interested in combating. For sure, I'm also a believer of the fact that we're not born with these preconceived notions. It's definitely something that we learn. Um, And as a result, I believe that in order to like combat that, we need to learn about the other side. We need to learn about um, other things. And that's why it's so important that schools talk about, you know, racist history, talks about, um, you know, the history of Canada for one um, and how it came to be and to recognize that in the history of Canada, there's so much racism in general and specifically anti-Asian racism. and that's not to say that we should blame anybody that's, you know, that is unfamiliar because I think it is very human and very instinctual to maybe mm, kind of not be rude to, but just not be the kindest to something that's unfamiliar, such as our food, such as our traditions, whatever it is. But I think it, it is really important that we approach these conversations with like empathy and understanding whenever trying to attack anyone, whenever trying to, I don't know, undermine anybody, but definitely take an approach where we can try to understand maybe where any of their feelings are coming from and uplift each other's cultures, celebrate each, other, each other's cultures. And that's why it's so important that, you know, culture groups and cultural like celebrations exist so that we can be exposed to different people, different traditions and such. Exactly. And I think there's also this misconception out there that these culture social clubs on campus are trying to get people to become more traditional, to become more a part of their background, but it's, it's totally not. It's, we love and accept everyone who is willing to, I guess, share out the culture. I, I can't even explain it because it's just like uh, such such a such a difficult topic. But yeah, it's, mm-hmm. there's like a whole scale range of Asian that you can be, and anywhere on that scale is very very welcome and accepted. Here, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> I was gonna say that's one of my personal favorite things about CSA is that instead of preaching like oh like you need to be like really Asian, like you need to like speak your mother tongue. Instead, we're preaching like a message of acceptance, which is why we actually have executive members who are not even Chinese, despite our namesake. I mean, like I'm an example. Nathan, our very own president is Filipino. Like we've had people of like a a multitude of different heritages on the team this year and in past years. And it's really just about that like spirit of inclusivity. Yeah, and I think there's really this trend towards, you know, learning more about our roots and, you know, celebrating a culture. I think someone touched on this earlier, but, you know, even back 
to when we were kids in maybe elementary school or public school. And, you know, you'd bring home-cooked food in a, in a Tupperware and people would be like, what's that smell? And, you know, next thing you know, you're going home and you're like, mom, I don't want to bring this anymore. Or I know personally for me, I'm so sorry if my parents listen to this. They would pack me like meals and I wouldn't eat it at lunch because people would be like, like, what's that smell? Or like, that looks funny. Or like, it looks weird. And so <laughs> I'd come home. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry, mom. I'm so sorry, dad. I'd come oh home. I go, I go to the washroom and I'd put the food in the toilet and I'd flush it. And then I would bring the Tupperware back to the kitchen. No, really? Yeah. So like, you know, looking back at it now, it feels so bad. And, you know, I can't imagine if your kid goes up to you and says, you know, I don't want to bring a home food anymore. Then you're kind of like, what the heck? Or like, I want Lunchables now. Okay, Lunchables are cool. Okay, no, 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 no disrespect. Lunchables, to Lunchables are really cool. Lunchables are really cool. Okay, but yeah, you know, going to parents, imagine hearing it from your kid and saying they don't want your home cooked meals anymore, and then you know, food is such a large part of our culture, and and learning about you know how my dad makes food now, and you know, really getting cooking and learning more about you know Filipino traditional dishes, it's very important that we kind of you know reclaim our culture and, and learn more about our heritage. Facts. I had um, a similar food story growing up. Oh, no. uh, it was like, okay, so when, when I was in elementary school uh, during lunchtime, I think like every single grade had the same lunchtime. And then we would all just like sit in a line based on like our class. And then like everyone would like pull up, like we'd just be sitting in the gym floors, on the gym floors, and then we'd be eating. And then, you know, I think like back then, it's like my parents would make me, um, you know, rice, like there's vegetables and then sometimes like eggs. And we all know, like once you mix all those like scents together, it smells like kind of funky. And, you know, back then, sometimes my mom doesn't pull out the thermos or like there wasn't a thermos for her to actually keep it warm and stuff in. So then I think it just looked the way that it presented itself. Everyone was like, ew, like, what are you eating? And then, and I think like subconsciously, I was like, oh, I didn't want to like bring lunch to school anymore. Um, I was like, mom, like I want to eat like sandwiches or like what other kids were eating and stuff like that. And, and then I think like, she was like, oh, you know, like, just tell me what other kids eat. And then maybe like, I can try to make it for you. My mom ended up resorting to like, you know, buying Subway and then like, I'm and, like buying a lot of the food for us just so. I wouldn't come home and like not eat. And then maybe like financially, I didn't know if it was like a burden on her, but you know, there was definitely times where I was like, I feel like my actions were really inconsiderate considering like looking back, my parents were definitely in really hard places, but they try to make it work for mm-hmm. like, like me, my sister. And yeah, but that was just like, we grow up, we do a lot of reflection. We feel bad about our actions. And I think like the most we can do is just like, repay our parents and for all their like protection in a different form and I think that's Mm -hmm. like what we can do in return is just like protect them you know I think I'm I don't know about you guys but when the whole like I guess like anti-Asian things like blew up this year even with like women and stuff like that and my mom is like pretty small compared to like my sister and I I was just really scared for her and like Mm -hmm. when she goes out I in Chinese I was like I don't know the words how to translate it you know, oh, she gets, I think she gets scammed easily. Like she would kind of like believe what everyone says and get like brainwashed really easily. So I was just like really scared for her, you know, 
like my I know my dad is a big guy can like protect himself willing to stand but my mom is like soft-spoken so I think like I, so that's why like even um like going out at night to the supermarket I was like hey I'm gonna come with you like I know dad isn't gonna go with you but I'm gonna go with you just to like just for my own I guess like concerns to to make sure she's okay but yeah I think this even kind of relates back to our original point about how raising awareness and like educating not only other people, but like even ourselves on this topic is so critical because both of you guys like vividly remember and have like reflected on your experiences with something as simple as like lunch, like not wanting to eat the lunch that your parents originally packed you. And now you're like feeling like somewhat remorseful for your actions and you're like trying to compensate by like looking out for your parents more. And I think just even within our own community, this is like a huge step in the right direction. And it's showing that as you grow older and, you know, educate yourself more, uh, become more aware of these issues, um, you take actions to like try to solve them even like within your own family. Yeah, definitely. The conversation doesn't stop here, you know? If you haven't had this conversation before, we we recommend that you do have it with your family and those who are close with you, those around your circle. We have to normalize this topic with our families and friends to be able to learn more, educate ourselves and you know, educate others potentially about this topic. And there are positives to this. There is a huge momentum in popular culture towards Asian representation. Even last year, we saw representation through crazy rich Asians. Which, which blew up in popularity. And then, uh, you know, we have our very own Simu Liu. I don't know if he's from Toronto or Markham. I don't know if Markham is in Toronto. I'm not going to clarify anything. Someone's going to flame me in the comments. There are no comments. He also did go to Westerns. You can say like Westerns. Are yes, own. Westerns very own Simu Liu. He's a Marvel superhero. You know, he was just at Western in 2019 for Western Voice. And the next thing you know, it's popping off with Marvel. So there's definitely this huge momentum shift towards uh, Asian representation, popular culture. And I feel super grateful for this rise in Asian representation. I don't think I ever realized how important it was until now when I realized what the word representation meant. Like, I don't think I even really realized until maybe university, maybe the end of high school. And then now thinking back as a kid, I really, really didn't see myself represented in the media, but it seemed like a normal thing. So I never really gave it a second thought. But today, actually, I rewatched some childhood movies. I rewatched Barbie. And there's absolutely no, I know it's just Barbie, but there's absolutely no Asian representation there. It's a little frustrating. And maybe some people think, oh, but Barbie's white. I'm like, okay, but what about her friends? What about, what about, I don't know, everybody else? And why can't there be a character like Barbie for Asian children to look up to? Um, And I think that's also partly why maybe... I think growing up, I felt a little bit of shame being Asian and I'm ashamed to say it now, which is like why I'm extra grateful that there's more representation now. But as a kid, I think part of me wanted to be white and and maybe that comes from only seeing, you know, like the princesses or whatever character, whatever, whoever my favorite character is on TV at the moment, like they're never Asian. They're all, they tend to be white. and, And I'm really happy that that's changed now. I'm really happy that there is this momentum to get representation, um, you know, not just in our, not just in our cartoons, but in our action movies, our, our favorite shows, and even more so in our, in our leadership too. So, you know, that's why we have to advocate and support for Asians in leadership, Asians in the media, Asians in everything. We should 
really just uplift each other and give each other new opportunities to shine, um, especially in non-traditional avenues. I think touching on Jess's point about like um, uplifting each other and just like, I guess like creating like sense of community and stuff like that. I think that is also a beautiful part of CSA and, you know, being part of CSA for four years. I found it as not only like a home, a second family, but it wasn't, it was never about like being Chinese that connected us. It was about like the friendships, like the, I guess like the social aspect where we got to interact with each other and using our relatively big platform to help, um, I guess like educate people in our community, people who follow us and especially in the past year. So like during my co-presidency year with our dearest Mary, who isn't here today though, but that that's when I think we were really challenged to, to speak up on a lot of like social topics, um, to really like challenge ourselves and take us to the next level of like providing resources and learning, especially because, you know, we do have a following. Um, if I may pick up, I think it's literally incredible that we're using our platform for all this education and I'm so proud of all of our all of our peers all of our fellow Asians for putting in the work and having those hard conversations with our friends our family and even some sometimes some strangers um but I also want to take this opportunity to invite you know our allies you know to to take part in this fight and take part in this raising awareness I think no matter what cause you're working towards it's so so important to have like allies and to feel solidarity with you know people who don't look like you as well so if you have if you're if anyone's listening and you're not Asian thank you for listening first of all and second of all um thank you for giving us the time and the space to talk about this with people who who we may not be comfortable talking about this with otherwise um and I really want to encourage you to also have these conversations with your groups and talk about these things that maybe could be uncomfortable at first but are definitely super important and I mean we're always here you, whenever you want to talk about this, CSA is always here for you. Feel free to reach out to any one of us, anyone on the team. We're more than happy to just sit down and have this conversation. Um, or if, even if you want to make some more friends, we're here for you. You don't have to be Asian to join CSA. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah, I think I'm really happy to be able to pass on the torch to my dearest Jess and Nathan. And then, I mean, Kathy and Zoe are still growing into their positions as leaders. And I am excited for all the work that they're about to do next year, you know, not only for our Asian community, but for the new friends that are going to come along the way. If you ever want to join CSA, take the leap and be friends with us. I mean, I, I, will, I will be there. Um, I'm the old person there, but Jess and Nathan will open you with, open arms and it's going to be a fun ride yeah and speaking of rides this ride has just come to an end uh oh this my is the lord end of, <laughs> that, was a, that was a good one eh? that was a good one uh so that is the end of today's episode uh once again we would like to thank you if you were listening and if you've made it this far, thank you so much for, you know, being part of this conversation just by listening to us. Uh, and like we said earlier, the conversation does not stop here. With that being said, uh, thank you. I said thank you already once. I said thank you twice. Zoe, Catherine. Thank you again.
Thank you so much for listening and for tuning in. And that's it from us. Peace out, guys.